Okay. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Four Layered Takes. We are deep in our review of The Watchmen. On this episode, we will be covering episodes four and five. It gets a little better for Kim around about this part of the of the mini series. So anyway, I'm your girl Kim. It's me, Mimi. The girl male. Um, it's your boy Marcus, aka the the father, the husband, the friend, the congressman, the honorable Sir John Robert Lewis. Yay. R.I.P. to him. R.I.P. And the Reverend C.T. Vivian. And C.T. Vivian. Yep. Cel- celebrate their lives. Celebrate their yeah. lives. Yes. So much. And I would be remiss to say, please, please, please reach out to the Louisville AD or the Kentucky AD as well. Please arrest John Mattingly, uh, what's his name, Brett Hackinson, and Miles Cosgrove for the murder of Breonna Taylor. Yes. Yes. Arrest their asses, please. Good gracious. Mm. So guys, we made it. We 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 we're here another week. Made it to another Tuesday. <laughs> like we can do it. Um, this is. Uh, I feel like I agree with with Kiki because I was like, okay, this is where the story is starting to like pick up momentum and kind of get out of the what the fuck is happening phase of things. Like, okay, yay, we're really seeing what's going on. And I just want to call out Lori is a bully. I'm gonna say that now because she be bullying. Uh, uh, um, Wayne too much and I don't like it. <laughs> I I love she's other than um Regina King, she's probably my most second favorite person um on the show. Just cause okay. she just <laughs> you know she gives zero fucks about everybody. She like she looked at <laughs> Regina King and she was like, oh love that costume. Just like being patronizing and <laughs> like hey Angela girl what's going on Angela girl yeah, she was like so did you uh have a bad experience with nuns or something <laughs> I love this bitch I, I've got a bigger statement that I want to make about the women on this show after we I guess towards the end after we do episode five just just a okay. statement uh, just an observation that I've made about the women on this show and how they're portrayed Okay. All right. So So we are at episode four and the title is, um, if you don't like my story, write your own. Uh, We kind of start off. uh, and The first thing that hits me, like this episode, it like really ran at home that this show, the recurring themes are time, how we deal with time and the idea of like playing with the eggs and the different thing, like eggs are in, Every episode, almost every scene, I was like, good gracious, these people, did the Ed Consortium, like, are they a, a big vo- a donator to the Watchmen? Like, what is happening? They pay for all of the advertising. They are really pushing eggs. Yeah, um, yeah so we kind of open up our scene at the, it's a, a lady kind of, she's selling eggs on the side of the road, and it's the Clark family home, and it's a husband and wife that we meet, and they uh, own this farm, and they don't have any kids. Unfortunately, they've been trying for years, but they're barren, so we see them kind of go throughout their day, uh, and again, they're selling eggs, and they have, I guess they have a lot of chickens or egg farm, I don't know, so 
we then get a chance to meet uh, Lady True, who is a trillionaire, and she's also a scientist. And she um, has true, true industries that we found out last episode uh, created this thing called the Millennium Clock that is, you know, counting down time to what we don't know what just yet. So she's kind of the mastermind behind that. She comes into their, you know, in their house and she's kind of dressed like this really cool, uh, the best supervillain. I feel I feel like she should always have a cat that she's stroking for some reason. She just seems so evil. You know, like, and I love her little haircut. She's just, she's like the best villain I've ever seen like, in my life. Um, so she basically comes in and she tells them, I, I want to buy your farm from you. I want all the acreage and um, you have a minute to tell me. So she kind of turns over the hourglass. We're playing around with time again. So she's like, you have a minute to tell me. And they're like, girl, lady, if you don't get out of my house, this foolishness. And she, uh, there's a knock on the door and we see someone hand her a baby. And she's like, oh, you, you like this baby? It's your baby. I created this baby for you. So we find out that uh, she, through her technology, can take um, uh, an egg and a sperm from people who have not been able to have children and she can create children. So she has that capability. So she says, I've created this child for you but you need to sign this paperwork or you're not going to get this baby. So what's, what, it, what is it? And they immediately pull out the pen and paper. They're like, here you go. Give us our baby back. And right when they do that, they, they hear this kind of rumbling. They open up the door and they go outside. And it looks like a meteor is kind of coming over the horizon. It crashes on their land. And they're like, well, God, what was that? And she like, cool as a cucumber, turns around. She says, oh, that's mine. And I was like, this lady, this is a bad bitch. I was like, yep. <laughs> I was just so cold blooded with like she's just so cold blooded with all of that. If you were in that situation, I don't think there's anybody who would turn her down. Period. Like it was just like you can't have you can't have children. I give you five million dollars. This is the baby. This is yours, and you got thirty seconds to tell me yes or no. What you gonna do? Like what you gonna do? then she was like. They were like, well, what are we going to do if, you, if we don't take the baby? She's like, I'm going to destroy it. And she's like, oh, I'm just right, right, right. <laughs> like, going to kill this baby. Oh, oh, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Like, what? <laughs> no, but that, that whole entire sequence kind of reminded me of, um, it reminded me of Superman's origin story. Like a spaceship crash lands on a farm. Yeah. Um, and two parents find them, raise them, raise them, as his own, raise them as his own, that type of thing. So it kind of, it, it was like a Superman story. Yeah. So Marcus, um, and I, some of the po other podcasts I listened to when I was actually watching it, um, what do you think about that? Like, did Marvel write this for the Superman? No, I mean, I think he was like a counter story to his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they can't plagiarize it directly, but I mean, I'm sure that like that idea was that was a loose idea that they probably pulled from. Mm. Yeah. To do it. I mean, the farm is hard. Clark Farm. Yeah, it's called Clark. Clark Kent. But Superman. I mean, but I'm like, but, yeah. the, but the, his parents were the Kents. They weren't the Clarks. Yeah, but like, I think it, it was a nod to a it. Not too so, mm -hmm. okay. Clark just, Farm. And then something later we see, um, they reference 1938. Mm -hmm. was, yeah, that was Superman issue one. Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. cool. Okay. I did like um, real quick these like the whole when this when when that part comes on the whole almost like separate wives feel of it like it just came on like a real cheesy corny 
commercial with the happy music in the background and they were laughing because she dropped the eggs and it was like and then here lady true comes in and you almost like almost heard a dun 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 <laughs> like that's mm-hmm. what it felt like like just this total interruption of this happy made for tv life or whatever but yeah, yeah. here she comes to mess it all up so uh, after that scene <clears throat> the next thing we get is angela um who she's kind of outside of the glenwood cultural center and well, I mean, this, I'm sorry, this is actually not the next thing. There's another scene right before this with Angela uh, kind of breaking down um, the wheelchair. and She's kind of cleaning up her bakery. And you kind of don't know what she's doing, but she's just kind of like, let me straighten up. Let me get myself together because I don't know what's about to shake down. So let me, you know, put this stuff away. Uh, she walks out, she gets dressed and she walks out as Sister Knight and she goes to the Glenwood Cultural Center and she kind of breaks the glass and she calls in like, oh, I heard an alarm go off, but I'm going to check it out. You know, don't send back up. I got this. I got this. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Um, she goes in and she finds out that her great grandfather was OB and her great grandmother was a lady named Ruth um, that we did meet uh, in the first episode. And they had a son named Will. Well, at the cultural center, she's told that all three are presumed dead after the Tulsa massacre. But we know that's not true because Will, her grandfather, has now popped back up and he's 100 plus years old. So it was just, it was really interesting to see like, in history, this is what they say happened, but in reality, this is actually what happened. So kind of that misinformation um, that happens a lot to African-American and black and brown peoples. But Will did change his name. Will did change his name. It is possible that they just, you know, didn't find, you know, didn't find him or didn't know until he was presumed yeah, dead. Yeah. And it, I mean, that makes total sense. Everything was so crazy that if you, the parents are dead, you assume automatically that the kids would be dead as well. So as soon um, as Angela kind of gets this information, she hears this commotion outside. So she runs out um, out of the building and she sees where we left off, um, for episode three, where the car has now hit the ground and Lori was just out there laughing. And she was like, she runs out. She was like, what is going on? What's happening? And she walks up, Lori is laughing and she just goes and grabs her keys that she stashed under the wheel. And she, you know, does her little click to turn the alarm off. Lori's kind of like, what's you guys, she's like, what's going on? This is, oh, and then she's like, oh, this is your car. She kind of gets in, she looks around a little bit and she opens up her glove compartment and she makes sure that those memory pills um, that Will was talking about are in there. So she kind of sees it and closes it back up. And then you get your, bu- the late, I'm gonna call her Lori the bully. She's like, did they steal anything? She's like, no, everything's here. Don't worry about it, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so that was kind of a, that was a kind of an interesting part. And the, what I love about that scene and the last uh, season three scene was that that was shot here in Atlanta. So I was like, that's Iberia big. And like, so it was just like, they were downtown Decatur. It was kind of cute. So shout out to Atlanta in our, in our industry, um, for the movie industry and the show industry. So the next scene that we see is Angela, um, is having breakfast or making breakfast with Cal and her family. And again, they like, they crack an egg and they're making, they make a lot of pancakes and things and carbs in this house. So, uh, they're making their, their kids breakfast and you hear the she got to keep her energy up. She got to keep yes. her energy going. I mean, for everything, for that gorgeous man in the closet time and for, you know, turning to a superhero, all that just uh, keep your energy up for all. Right. Uh, some vitamin C's and some vitamins. So um, she, here the kids kind of, they're arguing at the kitchen table and they turn around and the little girls are getting upset because their brother's like, well, Jud, you know, Uncle Judd is, he's dead and he's nowhere. Like he, he's in hell, like he's just nowhere. And so um, we see Cal turn around and he's like, oh yeah, I'll explain it to you. 
you know, we're nowhere before we're born and then we live our lives. Then we go back to nowhere. Like he's nowhere and he's dead. He's just dead. He's nowhere. And I just put, I typed in my notes like, well, damn, like, uh, <laughs> okay. Mm, all right. It, it, it was at, at this point, I was like, something's off with it. Like, this man is too blunt, too rational, too, like, yeah. removed from everything. I was like, like, he's got to be like a clone of Dr. Manhattan or something. You're just now crazy. getting that he's a strange guy, that he's weird, something's wrong with him. No, I mean, yeah. I, mean I like to give people the benefit of the doubt, but I couldn't, at this point, it, it was it was just too much. Like, you don't, you have to ease children into that type, ease children into that type of discussion. Well, to to be fair, they just don't seem like that type of family anyway. Just like last week when she was talking to Blanky Jackson was kind of like, well, you know, we don't fuck around with happy stories. He, you know, somebody <laughs> killed him. You know what it is. And Blanky was like, yep, yeah. So it's like, Yeah, but she was looking at him like, why are you telling him that? She she yeah. was looking at him like, wait, don't don't say that to him. Too far, too far, guy. It just, I was like, I bet this is going to be how Kim tell her kids that somebody died you're just so blunt and i was like kick up like they not heard about they dead and they in nothing <laughs> i was like oh god but i believe in heaven and hell so that probably would not be the same conversation i don't yeah. i don't believe in this nothingness that happened yeah. so I, I probably wouldn't explain it quite like that <laughs> like that i was just like damn i was like okay then no all right then <laughs> i just now i was gonna say it seemed it seemed on brand to me for for them for from what I have seen from them so far. They just seemed yeah. on brand for me. I'm like, okay. Yeah, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, he has brain I just thought, oh, he has brain damage from the white knight. I was just like, he probably he just says these things and he just probably has brain damage. It's okay. But I I am like everybody, I was like, something is really up with this guy because this is bizarre how he's talking to these little kids. So uh, the next scene, we see Angela, she uh, heads over to uh, Looking Glass's house, Wayne, and she just kind of like pulls up and goes directly to his bunker that's in the backyard and knocks on the door. He comes up um, and lets her in, and he's developing film down below in this bunker of the squid. So you can kind of see he's kind of uh, obsessed with the squid that kind of fall. He tries to take pictures of them, and he's like, they only live a little while, these poor little squid, and you know, where they come from. So you, you're kind of getting a bigger picture of who this man is. A, he lives in a bunker. He wears this strange glass a hood over his face, and he's kind of obsessed with these with um, the squid, or that phenomenon that happens quite often. So she says, um, ask him for a favor. She's like, well, can you ask your ex-wife? Could she find out what these pills are? And he was like, where you get them from? He was like, y'all want to know? Like, dude, I just need you to handle this for me because you you got you got the hookup. Please just do this for me. So he's like, okay. He agrees to it. He takes it. And then she also shows him the hood, um, the KKK uniform that Judd had in his uh, closet. And she was like, you know, I need you to keep this because, you know, just keep it. And he was like, oh, you don't want the feds to get it, saying that Lori. So she's trying to still make sure that Lori doesn't get her hands on this KKK uniform that she that she found in Judd's closet. And he looks at it. He was like, you know, Judd's grandpa was a lawman. This was probably something of his. And something that was so profound in this scene to me, she says, um, she said, did you know that Judd was a racist? And he straight turns around. He was like, he was a, he's a white man living in Oklahoma. And that, on period. He doesn't say anything else after that. And I was, I was like, I was like, let me rewind it. Even the first time I, I watched it, I had to rewind it because he doesn't offer any more explanation. He was like, what the, you know, basically, what do you think, Dom Dom? Like, right. why in Oklahoma? And that, that kind of like, it just kind of set me aback a little bit with the blunt. That was very blunt, blunt talk. Right. And he was straight faced. 
straight when straight he as said a, it. Right. So I'm looking at looking glass like, oh, so that also includes you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yep. Right. I'm white. I live here. Bye bye, guys. Thank um, you for being very candid and just admitting it. Hey, that's that's all you can ask for at this point. I'm at this point. <laughs> So he kind of let her know. So we, we, and I, I like that we keep um, understanding that they do have a, a, a tight relationship um, where they do talk very candidly to each other. They don't, they don't beat around the bush. Now that's not who Angela is as a person as we keep seeing. And it seems like that's not who Wayne is either. So I kind of like that. They're kind of one-on-one with each other. Uh, next Angela goes. So she, I told you a little bit earlier um, in that, uh, one of those first scenes is she was kind of breaking down Will's wheelchair. So she's like, I'm gonna go dispose this, kind of just throw it into a moving train off of this uh, little overpass. So she throws it over and she looks up and there's this person in this uh, really skinny person in like a silver suit, mask, his face is covered (laughs) and he is looking at her. And so she busts out running like, I'm gonna gonna get this dude. He like runs away so fast. He covers himself in this jail and then he slips into a sewer, like a sewer. (laughs) And I was like, that was the most- What was that? Lube man, lube, 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 lube man. Yeah, it was lube is a who? Lube man, lube. That's what we called him, lube man. Um, who? Somebody called him that. Uh, somebody in the show called him that because she was. Yeah, somebody in the show called him. I, I think I want to say Judd. I think I think I'm sorry. I think Wayne called him lube man. Okay, but her reaction to that was everybody's reaction. She just screamed and said, what the fuck? And I was like, <laughs> everybody's reaction was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so, is he like a character in this universe? Marcus, I didn't I know. Oh, I have no new. idea. I, I, should, I should read the Wikipedia, uh, the, the, the PD facts, but I don't know. <laughs> and I immediately, when I saw that, I thought, I was like, oh, there's PD. Like, PD wants to be a part of this world so bad. He knows a lot about the Watchmen and kind of like mass vigilantes i i his body his frame immediately yeah. made me think of pd but it, it never you know I, I, they never went back to it they just know that this blue guy we're still called blue man so, uh, I, I, think we're supposed, I think we're supposed to assume that's who that was mm-hmm. i think we are so okay so um he slides under the drain so she goes back to the precinct uh for their kind of their meeting that they have where they get uh debriefed then she's like wait a minute, hold up. She sees Lori now in Judd's office and she was not kind of feeling that. So she walks in, um, like, well, she's now the new boss of everything. And I, it, it made me feel some kind of way seeing her at Judd's desk too, but I don't know these people are not real people, but I was like, why are you at his desk? You to go sit somewhere else, lady. Um, and then, <laughs> and she tells, um, Lori tells Angela, like, oh, I had your car dusted for Prince. And I'm like, she's like, uh, okay, why? Like, this is so stupid. So we find out that when Lori has the FBI dust uh, Angela's car for prints, that she, we find out that Will's prints are in the car because he was uh, in the car and he touched the car. Um, so now we know that his name is, for, in fact, Will Reeves, um, because that came out because he was a part, um, he was in the system because he was a police officer in New York City in the 40s and 50s. Um, and his file reads that he retired when he was young and he just kind of disappeared. So he just kind of went away. Um, and then Lori says, well, I mean, he's, it would make him today over a hundred years old. And he was like, you know what? A hundred year old person would need a wheelchair. And so Angela still straight face. She was like this bitch. I know she was probably like, okay, where are you going with this? Like, let's go. <laughs> 
Um, so you see Lori is kind of let very, this very passive aggressive way, letting uh, Angela know that she was like, oh, you know, and you know what something else? I, there were wheelchair um, marks at the crime scene. Um, oh, oh, goodness gracious. So she's letting her know that <laughs> this wheel, she knows about the wheelchair. She said, you know, she's kind of thinking that, okay, there's something about this wheelchair. You are attached to it. It was in your car. It was at the crime scene. So she's kind of building this case out against um, Angela. Then uh, she gets, uh, she says, oh, we have another lead. And from that other lead, that leads them to the next scene um, that where they are, Angela and uh, Lori headed over to Lady True's office. But before I go there, do you guys have anything to say about this scene in the police, in the police precinct and judge's office, kind of that exchange between any of them? No, okay. It was a good scene because you saw I, those these two powerhouse actors uh, really like they are teaching people how to act by watching them act, which is amazing. Wow. So Lori and um, Angela, like I said a month ago, they're headed over to Lady True's because uh, they realized that something that Lady True and her industries have lifted the car off of um, into the sky. I and while the, uh, is this the car ride over where? Um, Blake says something about mentioning the ther uh, thermodynamic miracle. Yes. Okay. I do have something. I, mean, I just wanted to make okay. note of that. I just, I thought it was, um, their discussion was fun, was funny. And mm -hmm. uh, she was talking about, I had an ex who would call it a thermodynamic miracle. And um, um, Lady Knight or um, Regina was kind of like, oh, he sounds fun. And then she goes, well, he's no Kyle. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, hmm. Anyway, let's, let's make a note of that. Let's make a note. Right. Um, but so, yeah, they're in. Mm -hmm. oh, you no, want, I was okay. going to say, is this also the car ride where she asked the question of, like, um, what is it? Why do vigilantes wear masks? Yes. If you would let me get to that, I will let okay, you guys okay. know. Okay. <laughs> um, so, we are in the car where it's uh, Lori and Angela and Pete. Petey is in the back seat. And, um, Lori brings up, she's like, oh, there are all these interesting things that are kind of, you know, happening. And my ex used to call it, like uh, Mimi just said, uh, thermodynamic miracles. And she says that they're just basically an explanation of how everything is connected to everything. So how everything kind of plays into everything and touches everything, kind of in, in, in our environment, in our society. So um, she was like, well, tell me a little bit more about that. She was like, well, I thought it was interesting that your car was stolen on the night of Jed's, uh, of Judd's death and it was returned the day of his funeral. She's like, things like that. She's like, oh, okay. Then um, uh, she says, and I think we just mentioned a minute ago that, you know, her ex was very attractive. She says, so is your husband. And Angela's kind of like, uh, wait, what? So she finds out that, um, Lori went and questioned, uh, um, oh. Angela's husband. So, which I think is completely ridiculous and, and out of line. Um, so she kind of, you know, she's still trying to keep her poker face. She was like, okay, I got you. Now I'm making a mental check. Now you and my husband, you just said some things about my husband being fine and sexy. Now you're talking to him without my permission. Like, right. I, okay, I'm, I'm watching her catalog this stuff in her head. Um, then not to mention, he already said, do I know you? You seem yes. very familiar to me. Yes, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a lot of things going on with this lady and, and her being too interested in somebody else's husband. Um, then Lori says, you know, people wear masks because of they're trying to mask trauma and pain. And she tells um, she tells Angela that she, you know, used to do the same thing. She was actually, as we talked about 
the last couple of episodes, she was a member of the Watchmen and her mother and father were members of the Minutemen um, that were kind of watching on television. So she um, goes to the back. She was like, oh, Petey, why don't you, you know, explain to Angela. Petey here is, you know, a historian of history of, of the Watchmen and the Minutemen. So let him explain it. And he tells her, you know, that um, her parent, her father was accused of raping her mother. And um, they kind of, so Angela's, kind of being able to connect with her on a little on some levels but still cataloging the fact that she's really maybe after her husband or really trying to get her and her family so that was probably the most uncomfortable car ride in mm. the in history and in the show it was very bizarre so that was it y'all have anything else to say about that scene i enjoyed it i did i enjoyed their conversation about trauma and mm-hmm. masks and her history I, yeah yeah it was one of the better scenes. I think it's it set up like why she feels the way that she feels about masks and mm-hmm. it, 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 yeah, it was a good scene. Yeah, definitely. So they finally make it, excuse me, to True Industries and you're kind of pulling up and you see this is where the millennial clock is as well. So this huge monstrosity of the thing shooting up into the air and they walk in and they're seeing a scientist and they uh, realize that there, she said there are six of these flying crafts. They didn't tell you the name of it. And that these flying crafts could potentially pick up a car and maybe take it somewhere and drop it somewhere else. Um, and she was like, oh, okay, why do you want to know this information? And then you see for the second time, we saw her before, but we finally find out her name. We see Lady True's daughter, her name is Beyond. And she walks up and she introduces herself and thanks him for, you know, coming. And she says, oh, I'll take you to, to see my mother now. And, but Petey can't come. She was like, ladies only. So you kind of feel, realize like, oh, she's taking them to maybe Lady True's kind of her private space, a place that she feels very comfortable and very safe. And they go into this, she's recreated uh, Vietnam um, in kind of a, a Vietnamese garden or a greenhouse almost. Um, and then Lady True introduced herself to them and com- uh, lets her know that she's, you know, Vietnamese. And um, Lori, the bully, says, oh, you, you don't know that Angela's from Vietnam as well. So she's still bullying people and letting all, everybody business out, out in the open. Um, so they start talking about Lady True and, uh, and kind of what's going on here with what she's doing. Um, a little bit of her t- about her technology. And she says, we're happy to give you the names of all of the people who can operate those uh, six flying contractions and who had access to them when your car was taken and dropped back off. So during this conversation, Lady True looks at Angela and she says, oh, we have an, a Vietnamese proverb, you know, um, I'm sorry that your chief got killed in, in Vietnam, we say this. And she speaks to her in Vietnamese um, but she doesn't say what Lori thinks she's saying. She says, your grandfather wants to know um, if you have his pills. And Angela uh, replies to her in Vietnamese as well, you know, tell that MF for basically uh, to ask me himself. Um, <laughs> so I like the fact that they're using Vietnamese um, to speak to each other while Lori's in the room and not letting her know what's really going on. So you see now another connection with these, with another two ladies, another lady and Angela, which I love um, as well. So Lady True, um, then they kind of pan around um, this beautiful uh, greenhouse and you see that she has a statue of, of Adrian Veidt, um, Ozymandias. And um, uh, Lori's like, well, why did you make him, you know, mind you, she knows Ozymandias and was in the Watchmen uh, with him. And she says, well, why did you 
make him so old like oh he looks terrible and she was like uh he's a brilliant man and we honor our elderly and our culture and i owe everything to him you know i bought his industry and i use a lot of his work to you know to become who i am um so that was a really interesting scene uh, before we move forward Do you guys have anything to say about that i would say just notice how in what tense they spoke in when um uh when agent i forget her name what uh the fbi agent when she Blake, spoke, uh, Lori Blake. she said why'd you drive why'd you why'd you make him so old why'd you make the sculpture so old but then she replies because he is old mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah yeah it was a lot to take note in that scene i think this this episode four it drops so many clues as to like what is hap- going to happen or yeah. things that are gonna come yeah. right that scene right there she alluded to who she was in relation to another but, character uh-huh right yeah yeah and then I, and I first saw it and i didn't know what was going on i was like that is a terrible statue. I just kept saying, like, don't you want to make him gorgeous and beautiful and young? Like, why would you want to make him like an old man? Like, it, I didn't get that at all. <laughs> it was very bizarre. Um, so uh, the end of that uh, scene happens. And then we are actually going back to the manor where we saw um, Ozymandias, Adrian Veidt. And this was probably the most bizarre. If I was ever going to tap out on this show, this would have probably been the scene to do it in. It was cringeworthy. It was very cringeworthy. So we see uh, that Adrian Biden is kind of on this lake and he's fishing out babies. Um, fishing. By their, he was fishing babies out by their umbilical cords in this he, he lake. Feet is, feet is fishing. <laughs> feet is fishing. He's feet is fishing and then like throwing them back if he didn't want them. It was like, like, a, like it was bizarre. So weird. It was so weird. So then he decides to take a couple of the, the babies, I guess that were the best batch of the batch. And then he puts them in something that it, it doesn't have a name, y'all. I called it the human cooker, but it, I don't know what the name <laughs> of the thing is. Um, so he puts it's them more in like a control. percolator. More a like percolator. A, it's an air fryer. Uh, yeah, a pressure I, cooker. <laughs> a human convection oven. <laughs> so he puts the babies in this uh what we're calling the percolator human percolator and they just kind of uh, accelerates the growth process so then they go from babies to being adults in a couple of i guess minutes because he just turns around eats some cake and listens they're screaming and they're yelling you can tell it's hurting them it was it was one of the most disturbing things i i will say some of the top disturbing things i've seen on television especially on hbo then we think it's got to be painful Think about how painful yeah. it was for you to like go through puberty or when you hit your growth spurt. Yeah. Think about going through all that in like 60 seconds. Yeah, it, it was it was terrible. And then he's just like, let me eat my birthday cake and, you know, listen to some music. Like, I don't give a shit about these people. I'm um, glad then you we only got to under, understand exactly what was going on. You know, because it, it yeah. had been a minute and we had, I think people had guessed, but now it's like, oh. It's like mm-hmm. he has an unlimited supply of these people or these. Yes. Oh. Yeah, he doesn't give a shit about them, clearly. <laughs> um, so we see that once they grow up, it's the Phillips and Crookshanks that we've been seeing, you know, him be very mean to, kill, burn, put in his plays, just basically they're his playthings. So now we have a brand new Phillips and Crookshanks, and now they've become adults and they can't really speak or anything. Um, he uh, kind of gets some dress and he's like, you can't speak now, but I know you can understand me. And he says, "I, you know, please understand, I, am, I may be your master, but I'm not your maker. He says, um, I would never make something, you know, like you because you have no purpose. 
he just speaks so nasty and so mean to them. And I'm like, damn, dude, like really calm, like reel it in a little bit, dude. You cooked these people up this morning. You threw their brothers and sisters back into the lake. Like, can you just please chill for a hot second? I just but it was also a clue. But it was a clue. Yes, it was a clue. It was a clue. I, I can also imagine that. Um, because he had been there how long? Four this years. Four. Four. Okay. I can imagine that in the beginning he may have been a little nicer to <laughs> he may have been a little nicer to them, but as he just got tired of these motherfuckers. This is just like a bad marriage with a whole bunch of clones. <laughs> like I'm tired, I'm sick of seeing you bitches. You don't mean shit to me. I wish you would die. Here, let me just kill your face. Right. Let me kill you. So he so he gets them dressed and they go into the house. Uh, this is the new Cripshanks in Phillips that he just created in the cooker. And they go into the house and you just see all these Phillips and Cripshanks bodies that have been stabbed and murdered and they're just dead all over the place. And it's like, oh my God, what is going on? And so you realize that he's making these clones of these two people and just killing them. Um, then he uh, basically gets the new Cripshanks and Phillips to help him catapult all of their dead bodies into space. Like, they just get catapulted into the ether and through the clouds. And you're just like, what the fuck is going on? And we've been to the catapult twice before, so we know it's there. We know he's trying to send things to the space, and we're just trying to figure it out. Then he says, you know, I've been here four years, and, I'm, and he's trying to escape. So now a little bit more is coming together. We know that he's in this place that's not our Earth. You know, it's not our reality. Um, he's been there for four years. He has these clones that he cooks up. And he's uh, letting us know that he is not the maker of these clone people. He's just their masters. And he thinks that they're basically nothing. They're garbage. So do you guys have any? But do you think he wants them to have purpose? Like, I feel like he wants them to, he wants them to have a purpose. No. Maybe, but they just don't. Like, their purpose they, is they, to serve him, but he wants them to have, like, something greater. I think in the beginning he 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 wanted more for them or what maybe cared for them more. But since I mean it's year four, he, he clearly has no value, respect, thinks nothing of them. That like you say, they're nothing but bodies to him at this point. Well, right. and I feel like, and I'm like the purpose, and I get, and we'll find you know we find out a little bit later. The purpose that they are for and were created for is not something that a person like Adrian Byte values. You know, right. I'm just like. He doesn't have, like, when we talk about a psychopath or a sociopath, necessarily they don't have certain parts of their frontal lobe work, and I feel like that's him. Like, he sees things in a certain way. So what they were, what their master created them for, or their maker created them for, he does not connect with that. So, but it, but it was good foreshadowing. Um, again, uh, thanks for calling that out. So in the next scene, it's a pretty short scene. We see Angela and Kyle, uh, Kyle mm -hmm. uh, we see Angela and Kyle at uh, Kyle, what's his name cal cal, cal. okay like I, I calvin the cal okay like calvin um my autocorrect makes it kale so i it always messes up i don't know why it's drugs and drugs um so they're at home and they're kind of just hanging out and they're talking um at their house and uh he tells um angela that Lori came to question him and she was like, uh, why didn't you tell me? He's like, I'm telling you now, basically. And she, he says, oh, I told her all these things, all these things, like that wheel and all these things. And she, he comes, he's like, no, I didn't really tell her anything. Like, I'm not that stupid. Give me a break. I would never, um, never reveal all that stuff to, uh, to anybody outside of us. And he's reading a book called Things Fall Apart um, while he, while, uh -huh. when she walks in the house. Hmm. Yeah. 
No, well, but you said that that was um I nodded because I remember reading that book. It was just appropriate. Is all. Yeah. 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 What's the book about? Because I haven't read it. What's the? I mean, I guess I can gather from the title, but well, the premise. When, when he was like he hung himself she was like he hung himself at the end that's that's when i was like oh okay like i read it years and years ago so a lot of details in between um i've forgotten but it was um just based in like uh Igbo or nigeria um village uh, from a time ago like is, is what i can remember mm-hmm. but I, I remember that part of it like the hanging yeah it's been, I didn't read it. I, I read it my freshman year in college, so it's been a long time since I read that book. Yeah. And, and I believe the episode, episode four title, um, if you don't like my story, write your own, it, it's in that book, right? Oh, okay. I don't know. I can't remember. Um, I, have to go back. I don't know. I have to go back and look. But we know it's a tie-in. So everything they do is purpose. I, I think that's why I like this show so much. There's no, they don't waste any time on things that don't matter. Um, everything is connected. So then Angela... Um, asked him at the end, like, did you tell her about your accident? And he just says, no. And that was it. Like, then we go to the next scene. I was like, oh, okay. Melon, I was right because I said he, he had brain damage. So I immediately was like, oh, okay, yeah, he had brain damage during the white night and that's why he acts like this and she shouldn't tell him. So again, much more uh, foreshadowing for things to come, but he did not tell Lori anything that he should not have told her. <clears throat> so that was good. Uh, then we get to our last scene of episode, of this episode, um, where um, we uh, go back to Lady True's house, and it's in the it's in the nighttime, and we see Beyond, her daughter, has woken up from a bad dream, and she's kind of just in a panic. So she goes to her mom, like most kids do, um, if they have a bad dream, and she tells her, you know, I had this uh, terrible nightmare that I was in a I was in a village, and these men came to burn my village down, and we had to walk. We were forced to walk for for a long time, and she's like, my feet actually hurt right now. Like, so her body is reacting to this dream in a way that's not super normal for most people's bodies to react because she's feeling physical pain from this dream. And Lady True just looks at her and she says, "Good." Like she's like, "Good that you feel that way." And she says, um, "Will you you know come back to bed with me?" She's like, "No, you can go back to bed. Bye. You can you know basically walk yourself back to bed. You're fine." And then Beyond looks over and as she turns around and go out of the room and she says, oh, good night, Mr. Reeves. So then I'm like, oh, mind blown. Will is there. Will Reeves is there like hanging out, like having cookies or whatever with Lady True. And we pan over and you see Will say good night to her. And he is there with Lady True. Um, and he's telling her, Lady True is challenging him. Like, why don't you just tell Angela what you need to tell her? And he says, Angela is a person that has to experience things. She can't just be told about them. Like she has to go through the experience. And he goes back at her. He's like, just like you're doing to your child, like you're doing to beyond, like she has to experience this. So Lady True kind of, you know, kind of shuts up at that point because she's like, oh, touche. And then he um, says in three days, um, Angela will find out that I betrayed her. And at the end of the episode, you just see him kind of walk out and he looks up um, and you kind of just see the weight of what's about to happen kind of settle in her, on his shoulders. Like uh, she's about to see that I betrayed her and our family. And then we fade to black. So I thought that was a good scene to end on. What'd you guys think? Yeah, because I remember the first, <laughs> when I first watched this, um, I was like, that motherfucker can walk. <laughs> Like, <laughs> oh, right. yeah, he gets up. I'm sorry, he does get up. Yeah, it still had, I knew he, I knew he wasn't who he was the whole time, but it was still stuff that, um, 
I guess, surprised me. I was like, oh, this motherfucker can walk. And I don't know why they surprised me. I should have been like, of course he can walk. Like, he's been, you know, doing all this crazy shit the whole time. So. If he hanging people. So, right. so now I you know. really enjoyed the episode. Yeah. I like this commentary on motherhood. I liked the different way, highlighting the different ways that people parent. I liked, you know, the clues, like if you were really paying attention, the clues that were dropped to get you to, you know, bridge the rest of the season. Yeah. It was, it was good. I liked seeing that, like, when the, you think Lady True, who in my mind in this episode is like our number one, or maybe number two villain, and she's like, you know, one stroke in a white cat, and like her and, and Will are in bed together, like, or not literally, but like they're, they know each other, and something's happening, and she has a weird statue of this Adrian Veidt guy, like, it just, all these things just really have my mind racing, because I'm like, I really want to know how everything was connected. At that point, I was like, why can't I just watch this, binge it, all the episodes? That's what I wanted. <laughs> when I first watched it, I didn't connect her as a vid- as a villain. I didn't I see her as a villain the first time. Oh, uh, when she when she, um, she went to the Clark's farm. I just I just didn't see her as a villain the first time. I didn't know what her role was, but okay. I didn't see her as a villain. Um, and then you know you have us looking at costuming and things like that, and like her mm-hmm. wearing white. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole time, maybe that was a clue to us that she was the villain. But yeah. uh, in this story, but to me, I was like, she's connected, but maybe her intention is not malicious. Like I couldn't, mm-hmm. I didn't pick that up the first time. Okay. Yeah, I did. I was like, this lady is bad news bears because <laughs> she's dressed. I was like, and she's dressed like a stormtrooper, so she's bad. <laughs> And she she kind of looks like Dr. Evil, like in his like really light color suits and Austin Powers. <laughs> She's the worst. All right. All right. That's is, all we all the commentary for episode four. Yeah. Is this where you wanted to give us your thoughts on the women in the show? Or you were talking about like after no, both at, of the, at the end. At the end. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's not toxic, is it? God. I mean, it depends on who you are. Oh, God. Oh, goodness. Hey, just, it'll, it'll, it'll surprise you. It'll surprise you. Okay. All right, let's get into it. Okay. Okay. All right. So we are now entering episode five, and the title is uh, Little Fears of Lightning. And this is a really cool episode um, because we get a lot more uh, information built out, and we kind of get the behind the scenes of Will, of, um, of Wayne, uh, Looking Glass, and why he is the person that he is and how he became the person that he is. So I felt like this probably was one of my favorite episodes, uh, was episode five, because I was like, oh, now I'm getting it, because I'm not a comic book reader, so I feel like this helped yeah. me a lot to mm-hmm. figure out what was going on. Yeah, I definitely, so, yeah. I definitely like episode five more than episode four. Yeah, it was really good. So we well, opened yeah, up. This was the <laughs> one that was the most like a comic book. This did yeah. seem the most like a graphic novel mm-hmm. story. Yeah, it really did. So we are going to open up. It's uh, Hoboken, New Jersey, uh, 1985. And we meet um, uh, Wayne as uh, kind of, I guess they're mi- young missionaries. They're a church group. And they've come up to to talk to the sinners about the good word. And 
we um, find out that there's something called the doomsday or the doomsday clock that at, as it strikes midnight, it's supposed to be the end of the world. Um, in this current world of 1985, we know that Nixon um, is right now kind of, we're doing with the Cold War with the Soviets and uh, we're on the brink of an actual war at this point, I guess okay. it would be World War Three. So, um, okay. They were Jehovah Witnesses. Were they? Okay, um, I didn't I didn't, know, I didn't know if they were Jehovah's Witnesses or not. Yeah, they were up there, you know, on their campaign. Okay. Okay, I, just, I didn't know. I was like, oh, they, mm. um, So Jehovah's Witnesses um, are up there spreading the good word and uh, trying to tell people about what's going on with the dudes at clock. So Wayne meets this girl and... Damn, I don't mean to interrupt you. Mm -hmm. COVID really fucked up Jehovah's Witnesses, like, recruitment. <laughs> Listen, they Jehovah Witnesses find a way. They have all kind of campaigns. That's yeah. what they call them. Oh. Um, campaigns I, I, to like, to win souls over. Okay, okay. I don't know. I don't know anything about Jehovah's Witnesses. No, I'm just saying, like they they usually be in the neighborhood. Like all, it seemed like every day, but I ain't seen one in four or five months now. So no, you shouldn't. No, they don't need to be going nobody's house spreading COVID and the good word. Like that's too much. No. <laughs> no. Um, so we, uh, they're at this, they're at the boardwalk. So we see, um, Wayne kind of meet this girl. We kind of understand that he's maybe, uh, uh, he's a young guy. He's maybe a virgin. He doesn't, he's not really out there in the world yet. So she convinces him to come into the house of mirrors and she's going to kind of give him a good time. And, um, so she takes off his clothes and it's being very suggestive and all of a sudden she takes all his clothes and she runs out. So he's just there humiliated and just feeling terrible about himself. He starts yelling at himself in the mirror and you can just see, it was such a cool scene because you had all these mirrors um, that were all around him. He's yelling at himself and then you hear something just kind of happen. So there's this huge event that happens outside. I just wanted um, to say that, um, little, little, is it Wade or Wayne? I Wade, I'm sorry, Wade. Wade. Yeah, I was like, for, for little little old skinny Wade, he had, a, he had a little curve, he had a little jump back there. I was like, he oh, was a nice dude. Flat. Yeah, 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 nice, nice little curve. I was like, look at little Wayne. I don't know what happened <laughs> after that, but I was surprised that he had that little cup on. But go. Yeah. It, 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 no, no, okay. I was gonna say the the um the like the little the monologue or when he was talking to himself in the mirror. Um, uh, like I thought I, I enjoyed that. It reminded me of um I don't know if y'all have seen Ozark season three. Tom mm -hmm. Pro Tom Pelfries, he's like a bi he's he plays a bipolar character in the show. And it kind of reminded me of like that monologue that he had. And then also, um, have you seen The Five Bloods on Netflix? Mm -hmm. Not yeah. yet. Um, Not yet. It's good. It's a little long, but it's good. Delphoy Lindo? Lindo? Lindau. Lindau. He has like a monologue kind of like that where he's talking to himself. Um, that it, it, it just, it's like really, I just, it's just really good acting. That's all. Yeah. I'll check it out. Definitely check it out. It's on my list. Uh, I just need to get mental in a good mental space to to watch it. Uh, it's I feel like scary. It, it's not gonna. It's it's fine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll check it out. So, like for me, after um, after what was the the newest movie? Jordan Peele, not not Get Us? Out. Us. So anytime I see a scene with like a house oh. of mirrors, I just get like really stressed out. I'm like, oh no, get out of there! You're gonna get us <laughs> Um, so he's in there. He's, yeah, he's really disgusted with himself and 
um, yelling at himself and saying really terrible things about himself because he just feels really bad that he let him let this lady take him in here to do something sinful and now she's stolen his clothes. So he hears something bad outside. There's kind of this event. We come to find out when he walks out, there are all these people are kind of strolling about, a lot of dead people. They're bleeding from their eyes and their nose and their mouths and you see a few people who are just kind of in the fetal position and he's bleeding as well. Um, so we find out that there is an event that ha has happened that's killed 3 million people. Um, and it's happened here uh, in NYC in New Jersey, Hoboken area. Mm -hmm. Kim? Marcus, maybe yeah. you know the answer. How, how is it that it didn't kill everyone? Because there were still people out there, you know, who were alive. He wasn't the only person yeah, he was, who it was, was alive. Like, like, yeah. I, like we mentioned in the previous episode, Ozymandias dropped the squid in New York City. But when he, when the squid, when he brought the squid from the other dimension, it was like a, um, like a psychic wave that went out. It, it forced like a, a big psychic wave, and that's what killed everybody. But I'm guessing if you were inside somewhere, you might have been protected from it. Well, and it had um, in the sea. I just thought that since it was a psychic blast that happened. And there was even a boy that was outside when Wade walked out that was kind of like rocking back and forth. So yeah. maybe I thought that maybe it affected some people in, instead of other people. So maybe like the COVID method, like right. it's not everybody's going to get affected. Like everything to me is COVID. So like maybe not everybody's going to get affected, but some people are going to get affected. So we yeah, see I was just that. wondering mm -hmm. if it was something to it, if it was something that had been written about, like why it didn't affect everyone. Mm -hmm. we have to, we have to look that up so I, I, that is something I, I don't know about um so we see that he survived uh this event but he's definitely been traumatized by it like anybody else would um and uh we, at the end of that kind of that first scene we see what happened was you just kind of see all these buildings that have been toppled over people being killed and you see a giant squid and all these like tentacles all over the place so you're just like, what's going on? And they call this the, uh, the this kind of how we now talk about 9-11. They just say 11-2. So this is the 11-2 event that happened in 1985 um, in New York City. So we now kind of see, uh, in my mind, I was like, oh, that's why he wears this glass, mirror glass thing on his face. And he is traumatized. And he is, lives in a, stays in this bunker. So it was a little bit more of a picture and what happened. So then we cut to the next scene in modern day, um, and it's the police, um, the police station, the back of the police station, and Lori is leading their uh, big meeting that they have, kind of like when all the police get together and they uh, talk about what's going on, and she's like, listen, dude, this is what we're doing, not working, we have to find the location where the seventh shot the video, and that was a video that they sent um, after they killed, I mean, um, after uh, they killed the policeman. And they were in a church and um, she was like, we have to find this, where this place is. If we find this place, we're going to find the seventh, that's the seventh Calvary. So that, that's kind of where they start. Um, then Lori, I keep calling her Lori the bully, uh, then keeps bullying away. She's like, hey, uh, what does she call him? Like mirror face. Yeah. Mirror face. Like, <laughs> yeah, mirror guy. I was like, dude, calm down. Like he's just trying to do his work. Like be, be easy. Um, so she uh, calls him into Jed's old office and is going through his file. And she's like, oh, you were in, you were there at an 11 too. So you survived this psychic blast. Um, so she's kind of talking to him, kind of dressing him down a little bit. Um, so it, it, the whole scene just felt gross because I'm like, you don't have to be mean to him. Like, calm down. Like, I just think that she's such a bully. 
Um, so then we find out uh, that he wraps his head, like the, that thing on his face is something called reflexatine. Um, and it's supposed to shield people from uh, future psychic blasts. So it's not just a regular material, but they say, oh, this is going to help you and protect you if a squid comes, if another giant squid comes back. And we know that this man has already gone through such trauma. So mm -hmm. Lori tells Wayne uh, that, um, that uh, she knows that, she says, oh, well, tell me about the pills. And he looks like, what pills are you talking about? Like still keeping a poker face. And she said, oh, the pills that Angela asked you to, um, to look up. And he's kind of taken back, like, oh shit, how does she know? And she's like, oh, I bugged your desk. I bugged, I bugged the plan on your desk because I'm FBI. That's what we do. We bug things. I was like, you were saying so worse. Worse. She said it's this so worse. Right. Please leave this poor man alone. Uh, did y'all have anything to say about that whole um, scene? No, like, like you say, Agent Blake is a bully. She bullying that man. Agent Blake is is not a, is is with the shits. Man, she ain't about these shenanigans. I I love her. She don't, and she don't care. She's not intimidated by anybody. Only she ain't intimidated by this nun outfit that um uh Regina King running around in. She ain't intimidated by none of this shit. I got she, you. I got you. I, mean, I but, love it. But that also that that all stuff doesn't mean you also have to treat people poorly. But she gets what she wants though. She treat yeah. my shit, and she still get results. Okay, Trump. <laughs> get results, please. Oh my gosh, yeah, I feel kind of bad because he was trying to help his friend, and um, and now she bugged his desk. I don't think that she should be bugging people's desk desk plans. That's not nice. Um, so then the uh, the next scene we. Uh, kind of see Wayne, uh, the kind of the behind the scenes of him, and we see him go home, and he takes off his baseball cap, and you can see that the reflexatine is even inside of his baseball cap, but we can't see that, so you know, like, wow, this man really has gone through a lot of trauma, and is still very scared of this, another psychic a blast, so... Um, he kind of does these drills. So he's sitting on his uh, his couch eating these beans out of a can, like a like it was a whole while it was going on, watching uh, the TV show that everybody watches. And they were it was a very explicit scene. Um, <laughs> we're very we're very sex positive, you know, cast. So he's seeing these two men um, uh, uh, have sex on screen, which and them cheeks and it was just it was a lot it was a lot going on with the mask you know what's his name the american hero story um put it justice. Put, yeah put it justice and uh, was Captain. yeah yeah and they were they were making sweet sweet love um so during him watching the show this you hear this alarm go off and he just immediately just gets into like let me do this let me do that let me run down to my bunker let me make sure and then you realize that he um has been doing these drills um and i think they're they're the drills like if the squid comes back and attacks us then his alarm system will go off and he knows to get to the bunker and he'll be okay so he's done so many of these drills on this system that now the system has uh um gone haywire um so he calls them to get a new and replaced and they're like sir this is funny you're not supposed to do this this many times like what are you doing <laughs> um so he's very up he's upset he's like give me a new system and i don't care what i have to pay like when he was on the phone with the company, you just hear the panic in his voice and the anxiety that this man goes through and how traumatized he really is from this giant squid and trying to make sure that he never gets psychic, you know, psychic blast or have to go through this again. So it was kind of a sad scene, I thought, uh, seeing the way he lives. And then he kind of goes to sleep um, in his bunker and he just pulls down his, so he still wears the hood even when he's sleeping because he's so scared. Yeah. So. This man, is, he, he is really traumatized by the event. 
I mean, and can't blame them. It, it, was, it was bad. Yeah, 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 I was about to say that. That's how you would probably be, you know, yeah. if you live through that. So yeah, it was very uh, yeah. That was pretty sad. Um, so the next day he goes to uh, his, he gets a text message um, at his day job or his cover job as um, a market research person. And Cynthia, his ex-wife has texted him, you know, to come, come by. And uh, she remember that she has the memory pills um, that Will gave, that Will had that now Angela um, gave to him to get checked out. So you go into a place called Forever Pets. And this is something that they do now. You can get your dogs and your cats cloned already. I don't think that is something that people should do, but you know, to his and hers, have your own. Um, so she goes in and he's kind of talking to her and she has these three little puppies and they, they look like the same dog to me. And she's like, just you know, naked eye, do these look the same? And he's like, well, that one's a little bit bigger or a little bit smaller. And she was like, dang it. And then just throws him in this like little dog trash can. I don't know what the hell that thing was, but she just kind of kills the dog, I guess. Like an incinerator, or like, I mean, not an incinerator, but like a crematory what is yeah 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 so that was kind of i was gonna say infirmary but that's not what it's called it looked almost like a trash compactor that she put him in like a little one under under the sink so she kills that dog this show is hardcore like this show is brutal they just be discarding they discard clones like whatever yeah and it just made me think automatically of ozymandias like throwing those babies back into the those little uh, fishing babies back into the water, like, right. or, or just murdering all the clones and just doing whatever. Is so that supposed to be commentary or something? Probably yeah. modern society. Yeah. Just the way in which they just treat these cloned, you know, entities, whether it be a puppy or the pe- they just, it's like, fuck you, I don't give a fuck here. Just, I don't, it, I mean, it's it's saying something. <laughs> I mean, it could be like a commentary on the way we treat like our homeless population uh, that we treat, you know, people that we think are under, undesirable in our population. We don't we don't think of them as people or treat them like people. True. You know, I'm like just, just you know, when, when COVID hit and in Las Vegas, what stuck in my mind is they let they painted squares on top yeah. of hotels and had homeless people sleep on top of hotels where the hotel is right there they could go sleep in a room like right. and i know there's much more to it i know i'm simplifying it i know there's much more to opening a hotel to anyone up during COVID 19 but it was just that in my mind or like when you see certain cities that have park benches that have spikes on them or you know where homeless people don't can't sleep you know safely um so that's kind of what that's what i took away from it just how we look at look at other populations that we don't deem desirable in our in our society we kind of throw them aside and we don't think about them yeah. So um, Cynthia is like, okay, I know what these pills are. There's something called nostalgia. And we find out that these nostalgia pills are, um, A, they've been banned because they cause, psych- cause psychosis, but they put um, memories into a pill form. So if you take it and you've forgotten something, you're like, oh, I wanna, I wanna remember my 40th birthday party. So you take the pill and you can now remember it through this pill called, um, this banned substance called uh, nostalgia. So that's what Will has been taking. He did call him. He said, those are my pills, you know, for my memory. <laughs> do you guys have anything to say about this scene? I do have a question about the nostalgia pills because it's not like you can, they weren't labeled. They said, this is the year 2000 and you take that pill thinking. and you know what year it is. It's kind of, so I was like, why is he taking this for his memory? You just will take it and have a random memory? 
you know what? I don't know. I thought the same thing. Um, it doesn't say, the- like, even though Will said I take them for my memory, it's kind of like you just take random memories. Is I that wonder, why they were banned? I wonder if you start taking them and you take them, like, sequentially, like you're supposed to take two a day if it just plays chronologically. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, this is a made-up world, so I just, you know, yeah. that, that could be a rule. <laughs> It didn't have a dosage on it. Yeah, I can't, and I can't remember why they were banned, but I, they were they were meant to help like dementia, Alzheimer's, or memory loss. Of course, of course. They but said I, that it caught, she banned. said she said they were banned because they caused caused psychosis in patients. So right. that's why they banned it. But I thought the same thing. I was like, I don't know which memory. How would I know my fortieth birthday memory from my fifth birthday memory? Right. You open the bottle. Able. You open the bottle thinking you're gonna take the pill for that one time you had that um threesome and um and cancun and then you fuck around and take the one where you had the you had the stomach flu when you was 12 you be like shit <laughs> the wrong pill it's the wrong I, pill. I, would say, I would label all of my threesome pills like oh my guys make can we make these <laughs> color pills so i can know directly what i need to take these buddies because what's up yeah i don't know i did, yeah i thought the same thing and i was like oh, i don't get it mm-hmm. who knows but it is kind of a I cool mean, the idea. idea of it is cool. Yeah, the idea of it is cool. Yeah. I love that because I'm like, I, you know, especially if you have grandparents or parents who have gone through dementia and Alzheimer's and you see their memories go, you know, and they don't know quite where they are um, uh, at any given time. So that's, that's heartbreaking. But I, I definitely like the idea of, the memory, of these memory uh, nostalgia pills. So we go to probably, this is to me, one of the biggest scenes in the entire show um, where you see that there's kind of a support group uh, for people who uh, were either directly affected uh, for the events of 11-2 or their family members were affected. So it's kind of a, like a, like a AA meeting type of um, event where you can go and you can talk to each other and kind of give each other support. And we find out that Wade is the leader of this group and kind of the, uh, kind of talks through, talks people through some of their um, trauma. So what, what was really interesting, um, and I called this out, the first guy that we hear around this group, this circle says, you know, I'm here because of genetic, something called genetic trauma. And he says that his mother was pregnant when the squid, you know, happened, the giant 11-2 happened, but he feels like he's affected by that. And it just tied it into like what we talk about, you know, now with generational trauma and how as African-American people or Black people, we deal with so much trauma from slavery still and, you know, systematic racism. So I just thought that was an interesting way to kick that scene off. And I thought it was very important. I like that he said genetic trauma and not generational trauma. So that's, that's also supposed to be um, a reference to another reference to all the eggs we see in the show. Okay, to the eggs. Okay. Mm. So I'm um, sorry. So- I also want to say that when, like, when he said that, I was kind of thinking, like, that's not how that works, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like it, it, because women have all of their eggs at birth, it, it would be, it would be the male. I mean, and they, and they show that, you know, men who, when they are going through something traumatic and they, whatever sperm they produce during that time, that does pass on to the children so I was just like but he mentioned his mother and I was just like I don't think that's how that part of um, passing trauma down works <laughs> so, 
but, but I, I do like think it does kind of work like that. I do, yeah. even though we have all of our eggs at birth, they still mature, and it's just like when they tell pregnant women that you shouldn't be under so much stress, even though the egg is already fertilized. You the stress can change probably the component of what's going on, just like it would do if you weren't pregnant. How stress alters. Yeah. Your, yeah stress, your body stress bothers the you know affects the fetus but i'm just talking about the literal trauma part like they they have done the scientific tests on like actual trauma like why like certain phobias for instance why you are afraid of spiders or whatever whatever and they say that is traced through sperm whatever sperm your father produced at that time like specific traumas i guess I, I, I was just going to say, like, I, in my mind, I equated it to um, what I think that kids that are being born now will probably always carry with them because it's such a stressful time. And, you know, not necessarily, um, like, stress in, like, subconscious stress and maybe born with higher anxiety levels or maybe they, you know, they, I'm sure they'll do studies in the future on babies born during this kind of time period, but mm-hmm. kind of what, what that does to them. I, I couldn't imagine, I can imagine the trauma and the stress with the mothers that I know. I know three people that have had babies during the time that we've been off of these last almost five months and just the stress that they've had to go through. Um, so I don't, I, I couldn't imagine what it's like for the kids. So, but I'm sure they'll do studies on them though. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I was going to say part of the PT, PDA files. Mm-hmm. I think I'm saying that correctly. So it doesn't sound like I'm saying something else. <laughs> um, <laughs> there is a flyer that's called extra dimensional anxiety and you. Oh. And so it's a whole thing about this condition that Wade has, which is extra dimensional anxiety. Mm-hmm. And how you cope with it. And so there are different um, therapies for how you cope with it. And so the group that he was in was called the Prolonged Group and Exposure Therapy. Mm-hmm. And it's where the group meets with others who are also suffering from it. They talk about the condition as a means of being known, relieving stress, and experiencing comfort. And then they may also revisit safe places related to the trauma to build up greater stamina in managing with the stress. So mm. just thought okay. that was interesting in the file. In the files. Thanks, Petey. So this is kind of a long scene. So I'm going to try to go. I think it's a very important scene um, because it sets the stage for a lot of things that are about to happen. So we see um, in the meeting, uh, Wayne is, uh, Wade is actually telling them, you know, you can live your life without, without fear. You know, you don't have to live this way. But I think that's a lie because we see he is very scared and that he is very concerned that it's going to happen again. He's just yeah. trying to make sure that, that other people see that you can do it, but he's not leading by example, I don't feel. Um, and then we, of course, it reinforces the fact that there was a giant squid dropped and it was basically to avoid a war with the Soviet Union and how can we bring each other together? And it's um, a, a shared experience like this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then we find, uh, we meet uh, at the end of the meeting, uh, Wade goes out to the car and he kind of meets a new lady that has come to the meeting that he didn't know before. And, you know, she's cute and 
and they go for a beer and kind of hang out. Um, and, uh, the lady, you know, they, they have kind of a cute banter back and forth and they go to the bar and they've had a little bit too much to drink. So they decide to call uh, a cab for Wade and then her friend's going to come pick her up. So Wade and, and the lady walk outside and right before they leave to go outside, it was really sad. because She was like, you can call your friend. And he's like, oh, I don't have any friends, but we see how he lives. He lives such a stressful life um, and such a scared life that he's kind of shut everybody out because of this fear of having, having another psychic blast or another giant squid happen. So um, he and the lady kiss and they smooch a little bit and her friend comes to pick her up. She hops in and he sees that um, as they take off a head of lettuce falls out of the, the cab of, uh, or the back of the truck. And we go back to the first episode. We remember that the seven Calvary um, as, a, as the guy that shot the policeman in that first episode, he threw a head of lettuce into the police car. So lettuce is connected to the 7th Calvary. So he immediately sobers up real quick and he was like, oh, this shit, it doesn't look normal. So he decides to follow them, to, trail, to tell them to this um, abandoned store. So as the lady um, that he's just met, they get out of the car, they go into the abandoned store and Wade, you know, basically calls in backup. Um, and he was like, I, you know, I got to check this out. He doesn't wait for his backup. He goes and looks and sees that there's lettuce there. He gets into the glove compartment. They have a gun, which we know that people are not supposed to have guns in this world. Um, so he's like, screw it. The backup is taking too long. He goes into the uh, abandoned store. Um, as he goes into this abandoned store, he sees that the church that they've been looking for is actually just a set. It's, you know, like a studio set. It's something that's built. It's not an actual church. And he's looking around kind of, he's like, he knows what this, what this is and why is it in the store? And he sees some other graffiti leading to the seventh Calvary. And then a basketball just falls out of the ceiling and scares him. So he turns around. He's like, what happened? Um, what happened? What's going on? So as the basketball kind of falls from the ceiling, he starts kind of walking around and trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and he realizes he looks up and these people from the Seven Calvary have their hoods on and they're throwing basketballs into something that looks like a portal. So it like gets thrown in there and it just goes away. So all you're I like, was, uh, all I kept thinking about was polar guys. Yes, it was very poltergeist yes. very poltergeist And we find out that this thing is called a CX-9 teleportation portal, um, is what it's called. So you can throw things in there and they will appear somewhere else. Um, and uh, we know that this is something that actually, we find out that's something that actually was used on 11-2 to bring the giant squid to New York. So this is all kinds of bad at this, at this point. So he's kind of trying to figure out what's going on. And, and uh, trying to see what's going on and happen. And the lady like basically uh, tells him, he kind of runs into her and he pulls his gun out. He's like, it's the police, like stop what you're doing. You're under arrest. And I'm like, dude, you by yourself. You don't even wait for your backup, idiot. Um, so she turns around and she basically tells him like, this is a setup. Like everything that happened tonight is a setup down to the, um, the, the, lettuce, the head of lettuce falling out of the truck is set up. I'm a setup. You know, he turns around on this guy that kind of comes up. He tries to shoot him with the gun and the guy just stands there. Like even the gun has blanks in it. So you realize this is an elaborate thing that they set up just to trap this one man and to get him to this one place with the seventh cavalry. 
So as um, everything is kind of going down, he's realizing what's going on. She's telling him uh, the truth. They put him in this room with all of these little TV screens. Um, so it kind of looks like a security for the store when the store was open. And this man walks in with his hood, the Seventh Cavalry hood down, the Rorschach mask on. And uh, he starts talking to him. And Wayne immediately was like, dude, I know who you are. Because, you know, Wayne knows. Wade knows everything. So he's like, Cinder, you're not even going to try to disguise your voice. And he pulls his hood up and you realize it's Senator Keene, who, as we remember in the last couple of episodes, he keeps popping up. He, uh, he and uh, Judd's, uh, Judd's widow used to work for him in his campaign. He was the one that wrote the bill so that police could wear masks. Like he is all over everything. And he says, um, Keene says that he and Judd were leaders of their own kind of seventh cavalry sect, but it was to keep the peace. He says, you know, we wanted to avoid things like the white knight happening. So we actually are the leaders trying to keep these yokels in line. Uh, at this point, I don't think Wade is, is really buying anything that he's saying. He was like, dude, you lying, whatever. Um, I, I, so I don't know. Uh, I don't know what made him realize that, you know, this guy is just about bullshit. He's not really uh, telling the truth. And he basically tells him what I need you to do is I need you to learn the truth. And I also need you to, to flip on Angela because what, uh, if you don't do it, we are going to kill her and her family. So he basically threatens Angela and her entire family. And he's basically says, because Angela is a person that's going to, upset the peace that they're trying to keep like she is an agitator um very it's words that we're hearing every day kind of in current um, day america unfortunately right. so uh keen has you know basically told him like wait i want you to know the truth if you if you want to know it but i need you to get your girl and get her in check like fast so keen um says you know i have something to show you he pulls out like a disc um like a dvd disc and he says you know, I want to free you, basically. Like, I know you're scared. I want you to be free, but it's up to you. Here's the disc. It's up to you if you watch it. Um, but it's going to be your decision, not my decision. And he basically hands him this disc. You see the television screens, and he walks out of the room. So you're just like, oh, God, what's on this disc? You know, they know that uh, Wade is a survivor of 11-2, that he is very close to Angela, that he's very a good detective, and that he's a, um, seems like to be an up and up officer. So I was so terrified that what was on this disc, it just made me really nervous. So before I go into talking about what that video is, that was a lot of information. I didn't give you guys a chance to kind of chime in. So I'm going to open it up to if you guys have anything to say about that very elaborate scene. Um, one of my favorite scenes in the entire show. No. <laughs> no, I mean, other than I think it was confirmation that Senator King kind of set. I feel like he set all this up. I think that was my first impression. Yeah, that he I just, was the he mastermind kept... behind all this mm, foolishness. Well, I just he just kept pop popping up everywhere. I was like, um, I hate his fake accent. I don't know. It's just it's, it's something is strange about it about this guy. Um, Marcus, did you have anything? No, pretty much what Kiki said. Uh, it just confirmed what I thought about Keen. Like, he, he tries to portray himself as a good guy, but he's a senator, so he's a piece of shit. It's, <laughs> damn. It's, it's always the person with the worst, most fake Southern accent who is the, you know, biggest villain in every, in every show. You know? In every show. 
And I think Wade, the guy who plays him, has such a perfect Southern accent. Like, he just, everything he says is on point. Um, I, I, love, I love his accent uh, a lot. So, but here's the thing: Is mm-hmm. Oklahoma considered the South, or is Oklahoma considered the Midwest? I what consider is it the considered? Southwest. I consider Oklahoma the is considered the Southwest. Oklahoma and Texas and Arizona are considered the Southwest of, of the United States. Texas is. The I thought the Southwest was like New Mexico and Arizona. Yeah, Te- Texas is Southwest. Oklahoma's in that. Um, and Arizona, New Mexico. Like, so when you talk Southwest, that, that's, I'm a Texan, that's what we think, that's what I think of as Southwest. But I include Oklahoma, because my mom can, because my mom can just get in her car and drive to the casino in Oklahoma. So to me, it's Southwest. Like, the border's right there. Like, it's not far. I got you. I can say the, the Mid-South is, is Memphis. Like, Tennessee, to me, is Mid-South, Kentucky. Nah, did Texas have slaves? Yes, Texas has slaves. Texas is the South. <laughs> yeah, said, yeah, the Southwest, but it's no, not the it's the Southwest. Yeah, no, it's not the South. It's very Texas is a very different place than other places, and so is Oklahoma. Man, um, Beyonce said it's the South. It's the goddamn South. Let's move on. No, <laughs> I don't Beyonce subscribe. Said it. I I hit the gavel. So so be it. It should be written. Beyonce said it's the South. It's the South. Let's go. But she didn't say anything about Oklahoma, so it's Oklahoma, <laughs> the mid, middle, or is it southern? It's it is. I'm telling you, Oklahoma is the Southwest. If people in Oklahoma walk around with Stetson caps and they drive pickup trucks. That's it. That I'm might be the culture of it, but I'm saying geographically, like, is it the South? Yeah, yeah, Oklahoma's the South. <laughs> anyway, let's go. Okay. okay, so Wade has decided that he's going to watch this video, right? He pops in the video, and Mark, so I'm going to have to help, have you help me a little bit with this so I can make sure I have the timeline right. So the video pops on, pops on and we see um, Ozymandias, uh, Adrian Veidt, dressed in his uh, Ozymandias costume, and the video has been shot in 1985, and he is, it's a message to the current president, president, uh, Robert Redford. So Ozymandias has, he has recorded this tape years prior to Redford becoming president. And he is congratulating Redford on his presidency and saying, I want to let you know, congratulations for your presidency. I am a big part of the reason that you got elected because I have been working for the last seven years to make sure that you get elected. A part of this um, is I created the giant squid. I dropped it in New York. I killed those people. And I'm also going to schedule other small things to happen throughout the time, uh, throughout time um, to keep people kind of involved so that I can kill, I killed millions of people, but it was for a greater good. Meaning that in, in Ozymandias' mind, he thought, let's go ahead and let's sacrifice 3 million people so we can save billions of people with the giant squid and avoid a World War III. So if that, is that what everybody else said? I just want to make sure because it said he recorded it in 1985, but it was, it, Robert Redford saw it in, on, Ju- on January 21st, 1992, when he took office. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he pretty much laid it out. I mean, Ozymandias is like Thanos. Yeah. Ozymandias is like every other um, twisted dictator in history who was like, hey, I may kill millions, but it's for 
greater cause. So like, who cares? I'm like, okay. I mean, in my mind, that doesn't make sense, but yeah. I don't know. I think it makes sense. I'm like, if you, it's the greater good. So are you going to do something that's going to harm this tiny bit of people or to save all the people? Like, right. I, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's right what he did at all. I'm just saying like, I get his sense to why he did it. it I, not, I don't think that he should have done it. I don't think that he should have dropped a huge... Many, you know, many people throughout history have done awful things for the alleged greater good. And, and I, I don't, I don't want to get into whataboutism, but like, can, could you not draw parallels between Trump and COVID as far as the country? Like being willing to let a bunch of people die in order to get the economy back or blah, yeah, blase, blase. No, because the problem with that is no. we no, don't know. apples and oranges, right? We just don't know. Like, yeah, it's apples and, and oranges. A, and there's because, a way to get the economy back mm-hmm. without letting all these people die. Yes, we can so do it's that. Not, it's not a binary choice. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And they try to frame it as a binary choice to politicize it, but it's never been a binary choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's apples and oranges because uh, I feel like Vite wanted to avoid a World War III yep. where that's not that's not like what Trump is doing. He doesn't care about anybody. Like, it doesn't, it's not the same. Yeah. Okay. Do we have anything else about that scene? Are we good? Good. All right. So then we go back to the manor where we got to see crazy Ozymandias again. Um, and he and I guess the only surviving, you know, freshly cooked uh, Phillips and Crookshanks, they're putting all of the dead Phillips and Crookshanks. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, was, I just I can't with this. So they're like, let's go, you know, master. Um, let's 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 get get you together. And so they put him into the damn catapult. And this fool gets shot into the air, into like the clouds. And as he goes through the clouds, we realize that he's kind of in outer space. So he's on the surface of whatever this planet is. Um, He goes to the clouds and he's kind of dropped. And then you just see all of the bodies for Crookshanks and Phillips that he has kind of catapulted up there earlier. Um, And probably over, I guess, the four year period. So they're kind of frozen and and, uh, just looking terrible. And he starts like breaking their body parts uh, um, apart and snapping their arms and legs. So he could uh, spell out um, a SOS message on the surface. So we see that he spells um, a message out uh, for a passing satellite. So he knows that the satellite's going to be passing at this particular time. So he puts this message out. And in the reflection of the satellite, we see it says, save me and the letter D. And then that's all we see. Um, and then the satellite kind of goes. And then Ozzy is ripped back. Um, from the outer space and once he hits the ground we realize that he had a rope um, on him and that the game warden who we already know told him what to do like he is the the sheriff in town has pulled him back and he kicks him in the face and hits him in the face because he's not following the rules and he basically says now you're under arrest so this game warden has now put Ozymandias under arrest but we know that he knows when the satellite is coming by I don't know where he is, what planet this is, or where he is, or what moon he's on, but he's spelled out, uh, save me, the letter D. So I thought that was interesting um, and morbid and fucked up uh, scene as well. Because he just started breaking up people's legs and arms and stuff. Like, what in the world? Right. 
but he doesn't see them as people. We say people, but they're, they're nothing. They're clones to him. They're not, they're not real people. They're those little white dogs uh, that that lady put in that compact, that trash compactor. Right. <laughs> that Cynthia doesn't give a shit about. Damn. Peter gonna come after you. Not me. I'm just saying that's, that's how he treated them, just like she did. She didn't care. They're not people. And definitely not cute little fluffy dogs that I don't think she want trash compactors. <laughs> uh, anybody, anybody else have anything about this scene? Yeah, so it's me- the first time I watched this, I was like, what is happening? I still, by this episode, had no idea what this man was doing. <laughs> what is going on? Why is he so cruel? What is happening? I didn't even realize that that's what he spelled out until yeah. just now. I think uh, I just got that just now. I didn't realize <laughs> it ended with D. I know he, I knew he spelled out save. I thought he just spelled out save me, but he said he spelled out save me D. It's um, so it's another word. It's another word, but we're going to find out later on. Um, but it's that's all you see in the reflect when you see the satellite come over in the reflection of the satellite. It cuts it off yeah. where you only see the letter D in the rest of the, oh, uh, the, okay. the okay. Uh, with, with the poor Crookshanks and Phillips body parts, um, which was super morbid. So in our last scene of the, uh, this episode, we see um, Wayne and uh, Lady Knight and everybody. They're back at the uh, precinct. And that uh, Angela comes over and she's like, she's, she's had it. She was like, I need to know what's going on. You need to tell me what's, what these pills are and blah, blah, blah. And I need to know she was, she, she was fed up. And um, she tells Wade that, uh, you know, but she just had to, to confess. Cause she, he was like, what's true. Like, tell me the truth. Like right now, stop bullshit with me. Tell me the truth. And you see, he's just kind of so defeated after he had watched the video because this man's entire life since he was a teenager has been ruled by the idea that there's this magical, you know, space alien monster that got dropped and he's trying to protect himself and do all these drills and, and thinking that it's something that's supernatural and then realizing that a man created it uh, so that other things can happen. So his whole world is kind of being torn apart. So she comes over and tells him that her grandfather um, killed Judd and that she's covered it up. And right when, when she's telling him this, you kind of see his face even get even graver because uh, he still knows that the plant on her desk is, on his desk is bugged. Right. And now uh, Lori and the FBI know that she, A, she has covered up a murder, that her grandfather's involved. Um, you know, like, this is just terrible. Like, oh, oh God. So then they come out and they try to handcuff her. Um, he gives her back the pills that now, you know, she knows are nostalgia and she, um, uh, the, before they put the handcuffs on her, she takes the, the cap off and just downs the pills. She was just like, I don't give a shit what y'all about to do, but you ain't about to take these pills away from me. And I got to crack this case and I'm taking all this stuff. I'm taking all of it. And I was like, no, they're not labeled. <laughs> um, so she, <laughs> she takes, <laughs> she takes, <laughs> So she takes the pills and they basically handcuff her. Lori, Lori comes out. She's like, what did you do? Basically like, oh my God, what happened? What did you do? Like you idiot, you dumb idiot. Um, so I think that scene showed me that Lori actually does care a little bit more about Angela than I thought she did. She cares about cracking the case, but then you see that like she does actually care about this woman. So then um, you see Wade is just kind of defeated. Nobody knows what's going on. Angela has now been arrested. She's taken all of the entire bottle of nostalgia pills. Um, Wade then goes kind of goes home and, 
you see like he's just like should I put out put on my little hat or whatever he doesn't know um and his new alarm system has come um and it's on his doorstep so he picks it up he just throws it in the trash he's like I don't need this shit like it's not even real anymore um and then he actually says oh I think he just has a second guess he goes back and picks it out of the trash and I just then I thought about if you're used to doing a certain thing for so long and that's comfort to you that it would be kind of hard just cutting that thing off cold turkey so I think that's maybe why he went back and got it. If more people that know psychology probably know more why, why he went back to the trash and got the alarm system. Um, and then at the very end, he walks in the house and we see this black van pull up unmarked and members of the 7th Cavalry get out and their faces are covered and they start heading towards his house with guns and then we fade to black. So we don't, we don't find out what happens to Wade um, as he goes in. And now you have these 7th Cavalry assholes that have now come to his house. Man, Wade need his ass beat. Wade what? Wade need his ass beat. Oh, for uh, kind of kind of snitching on um, Angela. I I I, I will get, I'm gonna get to my point right here. The whole okay. point. Okay. Um, I think I thought that he I I don't think he needs to get his ass beat because if if I if the senator told me like and that's my friend. Or she, I think my work friend, because he says he didn't have any friends. Um, I'm going to kill her, her whole family. I'm going to murder all the, uh, her entire family, wipe off the face of earth, or you get her in check. I think I would have flipped on her just to help her and uh, not to get her out of the picture. Um, I wouldn't think that she would have done what she did, but I would have done that over her whole family getting murdered. Cause I, guess, I see it differently. Like, it, to me, Wade, it seems like Wade has been, he's been bullied, manipulated, taken advantage of. By women his whole life. You got the carnival girl, you got his ex-wife, you got Agent Blake. All they've done is just deride and demean him. The only person that's straight forward with him, treats him with any kind of respect, is Angela. And then he goes and betrays her. Like <laughs> I, I just I just can't get over that. So you just like the black woman can't catch a break. Not yeah, even I, you know, I, I mean, that's, the, that's the bigger point. That's the bigger point. <laughs> black woman a Black how did his wife demean? How did his wife betray him? Because I don't understand. Because when she, I thought in the show she was very clear with being like, "I've spent the last umpteen years trying to convince you I'm not going to steal your clothes and leave you naked." Like, so I don't understand. How did she? She helped him. Like, how did? How I don't understand how she betrayed him. I, I, I mean, I can't remember the, the scene specifically, but it seemed like she was kind of talking down to him, not not, not um not to him in that scene in the um mm -hmm. veterinarian or whatever whatever that was like the. Uh, I don't say it didn't seem like she was talking to more like an animal than she was to him as like a human or her ex-husband. I mean, well, she was dealing with the animals, and she probably is tired of his shenanigans. You know, so it's probably yeah. been years of his paranoia, wanting her to do things, only coming around when he needs stuff. And I think she was more agitated because she said, "Well, like, what woman asked you to do this?" Like, yeah. it, I think that had something to do with her agitation. I, I was about to say, and this may sound terrible, but Wade comes across as the type of person who will always find himself in the situation where he's being abused. <laughs> and that's like, he just, like, even in the, and I don't, you don't get his whole background, but he didn't seem like he was that enthusiastic about being this um, Jehovah's Witness in this situation. So he was kind of pushing to that. He didn't want to do it. Yeah. His girl took advantage of him in the mirror house. It's just, he, he just seems like, you, you know, I don't know. I don't know what his childhood was. We don't get that. But 
he's always either he he gets attracted to these situations where he just gets abused by i guess frequently women so i don't i don't know what that is i mean that's probably a personality trait that you know some professional can tell you what that is i'm not that person but it just seems he seems like that he he suffers from that mm-hmm. i so. mean and, and, but angela doesn't do that to you and you betray her i mean she she you're a cold, you're a I mean, cold but she was person. using him, though. She was still using his connect. Like, no, 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 no. She, she talked shitty to him a little bit. She came to him and asked him, and he, he asked, she asked, will you or will you not do it? And she was, it seemed to me she was prepared to walk away if he said no. I don't feel like I ever thought Wade was Angela's friend. Mm. I feel like they're, they're each other's only friends, to be honest. I'm like, they seem like the, like, outside uh, Angela's son <laughs> was like her best friend, little baby blanket. Um, right. They are on the same page, and it seems like her, 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 and Wade seem like they're always on the same page to me. Yeah. Well, not right no, now. but they weren't because he was questioning her about Judd. Like he, to me, he mm-hmm. seemed like he was suspicious that she did something or uh-huh. she had something to do with it. And I felt like Angela spent the time convincing Wade that mm-hmm. she didn't do it, and it, you know. Yeah, I feel like he was always suspicious of her and maybe yeah. a little bit jealous of her and her relationship that she had with Judd or even with those, even with the kids, because he mm-hmm. was shading her about that, like, oh, your kids, okay. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know if he was shaming her, I just thought that shit was too funny, because uh, I would have said the same thing, <laughs> but like, he yeah. was throwing shade Yo but I thought, yeah, this was to me one of my favorite episodes. I'm like, okay, now I understand what's I understand what's going on. I was confused. I'm like, I don't know why these people. What happened? Like, what? I never. Not until you see the squid. I think like that's when I saw the giant squid. It made sense. Like I'm like, oh, okay. And then when Ozymandias just explains what he does, I was like, oh, okie dokie. Yep, I got you. You're a crazy person. You're a Looney Tunes on Nickelodeon. So, I thought it was a great episode. Next episode. Now the show starts to get good. I can't after this. Episode. You what? Huh? Next episode is the episode. Right. Okay. I can't remember. I can't even remember what all happens. Is next episode is when she meets who? Her husband? It's the effects oh, of the, the nostalgia. Because she right. took all the pills. Yes. Yeah, that's a rough one. That's going to be a rough one to... That's gonna be a rough one. That's a hard, it's a hard back and forth. I had to sit with that episode for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Like that's a triggering up that, that shit is fucking triggering. Like to see them do those those little signals or whatever, the the white supremacists, and like see that shit happen in like Congress. <laughs> right. And I'm like, it's all I was like, that's all black and white, right? The whole episode is black and white, right? Most of it is. When she when it's black and white when she's in the nostalgia. But I liked how they mixed in, um, well, I don't want to give stuff away, but it was just done really well. It was done so well. Yeah. But yeah, it's, that shit is triggering as fuck. It's going to be hard to recap that one, I feel, because it's so much back and forth. I, I was trying to look at who, I need to look at who directed that episode in the same way. You know how we used to look um, back at, yeah, who would direct, who's directing this episode because we know it's going to be good and they just kind of have their signature on things. 
Oh, yeah, that's how I wanted to look at who directed that one. <laughs> Next episode is directed by Stephen Williams. Okay. What else did he? What else did he direct? Um, let's see. He he did a couple episodes of Survivor. He directed Soul Survivor. Hmm. Yeah. Well, <gasps> he did a good ass job. I was about to say, not the same. Uh, Bling effect that Sapochnik wasn't that his, his name on a game. Adrian, Adrian Sapochnik. Yeah, but you know he did a good job. Whatever. Yeah, I thought his name was Miguel. Is it Miguel Sapochnik? Oh, I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. All right. Okay, guys, that wraps up episode four and five of The Watchmen, and that's it. So we'll talk to you later. Bye. 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 Bye.